We will be continuing our series in Peter's second letter. And this morning, we are opening up the final chapter of this letter. Let's again go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help. Father, we come before You now as we are about to open Your Word together. May You again quiet our minds. May You quiet our hearts. May our attention be on Your Word now. May You speak to us through it. May You not only be with those who are sitting before me, who are listening, but may You be with me, the one who will be speaking. May You help me to speak with clarity. May I be clear in understanding. And may Your glory be made known in weakness. Father, we continue to thank You for this letter that Peter has written to us. May we continue to heed the words that He has for us here. We thank You for the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You that everything that is required of us, You have provided for us in Jesus. May You be with us now as we open Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, after spending four weeks in chapter 2 and listening to Peter's vivid language about the false teachers and their ungodliness, we now come to chapter 3. And like Mike said last week, uh, I agree. I am glad to be opening up chapter 3 because... Man, listening to that, that language of ungodliness and the destruction that these false teachers do to the church, the havoc that they wreak upon the people of God is depressing. But now we open up to chapter 3. And it is almost as if you can hear Peter's tone change as he draws this letter to a close. Throughout this chapter, he is going to refer to these Christians three times as beloved. Remember, he has just spent, as we were talking about, all of chapter 2 describing at length the false teachers, describing their ungodliness, talking about all the destruction that they have been doing to the churches and these Christians. By calling them beloved, you can sense the apostles' genuine concern and love that He has for these Christians. He wants them to be able to stand strong and be faithful in the midst of the trials to come. So He writes to them in chapter 3 and He says this, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, 
And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In this second letter that Peter has written to these Christians, Peter again makes it clear that his goal is to stir them up by way of reminder. This is now the fourth time that Peter has used this reminding language. This apostle, this apostle is serious about making sure these Christians don't forget. Again, like we were talking about in chapter 1, he knows the tendency that we have to be forgetful and to become lazy in our Christian life. As Mike mentioned in a previous sermon, whenever we were going through chapter 1, Peter knows the tendency that we have to fall asleep and then deny the fact that we are sleeping. So Peter again and again shakes us and stirs us with reminder. And what he, what he is reminding us here is the same thing that he's reminding us in chapter 1. He just words it differently, which is God's Word and godly living. He says, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The prophets that Peter is talking about here is the same prophets that he was talking about at the end of chapter 1 the Old Testament prophets. In chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, Peter was reassuring these Christians that he had not been following a devised myth when he proclaimed to them the second coming of Jesus. He told them that he had seen Jesus transfigured before his eyes. He had seen the majesty that He is going to return in, in His second coming. And that's not, only, that's not the only thing that He said. He also told them that what He saw in the transfiguration, the Old Testament prophets foretold long ago. The prophets were proclaiming the second coming of Jesus long before Peter saw the transfiguration. Now, I'm not going to read the passages that we went through when we were going through those verses, but I will mention them, and if you would like, you can write them down and you can look at them later. The passages that we looked at were Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and then Psalm 110, verses 5 to 7. Those are the passages that we considered whenever we were going through verses 16 to 21. The second thing that Peter points them back to in verse 2 is the godliness that he described at length in chapter 1 by naming all of those qualities. And that's what I think that Peter is referring to whenever he tells them to remember the commandment. He's not referring to a single commandment but he's referring to Jesus' commandments in general and what they mean, what they point to, which is godly living. 
And we should, be underst- and we should be able to understand now why Peter stresses this godly so much. This godly living. Because he has just spent a whole chapter showing the godless living of the false teachers. The false teachers who proclaim to know Jesus. These false teachers and these scoffers that we're about to look at proclaim to know the Lord. But yet their way of life says otherwise. They are full of godlessness. So Peter is telling these Christians, you are not to act that way. You are not to look and act how they act. Because if you really know Jesus, you will slowly but surely begin to look like Him. As Jesus taught during His ministry. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus taught His disciples this. He said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. Now, that does not mean that the Christian will be perfect. The Christian is still going to sin. That's not what Jesus meant. But, overall, the Christian is going to be bearing Christ-like fruit. That is the difference between the person who just merely proclaims to know Christ and the person who really does know Him the person who just proclaims with his mouth that he knows Jesus, does not display the Christ-like fruit that goes along with it. The other person, on the other hand, lives a life that backs that up. They look like their Lord. And they will continue to display this Christ-like fruit throughout their life. In verse 3, Peter moves on to remind these Christians of the urgency of the time that they're living in. He says, you are to be paying attention to the holy prophets, God's Word. You are to be growing in godliness, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Peter is reminding these Christians that they are living in the last days. The last days that were foretold by the prophets and then ushered in by the coming of Jesus and then by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, I want you to see... Uh, a piece of Peter's sermon that he preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Now, right before verse 15, if you remember, the disciples were all gathered together in a room. And that is where, as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And they began to speak in all these different languages. And they then left the room, they went into the streets, and they then began proclaiming the gospel to all of these different ethnic groups in their own language. 
And the people, they saw this, and they began to say, these guys must be drunk. But Peter responds to them saying this. He says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's telling them, what is happening here now is what the prophet Joel foretold long ago. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on My male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out My Spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So by bringing that passage of Scripture up, by bringing to their attention the prophet Joel, Peter understood that the last days had come, that they were living in them. They were living in the last days. And along with the last days, the scoffers have come as well, following their own sinful desires, just like Jesus said that they would. Turn with me again to Matthew chapter 24. I want you to listen to what Jesus told His disciples whenever they asked Him about the end of the age. Matthew chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 3. Matthew writes, The disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Speaking of the last days, the end of the age. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus said to them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The last days have come, brothers and sisters. We are living in them now. And we will continue to live in these last days until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And... Like these Christians, we will continue to hear scoffers mock the final coming of Jesus. Peter in verse 4 records their scoffing. He says, they will say, 
Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. As we have been seeing throughout this letter, these false teachers and these scoffers deny the coming of Jesus. They deny the final judgment. Jesus isn't coming, they say. People use that argument even more so in our day, don't they? Now they say, it's been 2,000 years. If your Jesus was coming, I think He would have came by now. There is no final judgment, they say. Live and do whatever makes you feel good. God isn't going to judge the world. Now we also hear other arguments that may look a little different than what Peter brings up here, but they are all the same. They have the core heart in the middle of all of them. We hear the final judgment of Christ denied in the realm of science and education. These people not only deny the final judgment, the second coming of Jesus, but they deny God's existence altogether. They proclaim belief in God is primitive. That's what we did before we had the technological advances that we have today. Now they say, we have disproved the existence of God. We know now that everything that we see and understand exploded from nothing. Which really doesn't sound like a technological advancement, does it? Unfortunately, a lot of their arguments do sound silly. It's almost joking. But they're serious. People are led astray by these scientific arguments every day. They believe what these scientists, these philosophers say about the world and everything in it. We also hear things like this. If there is a God, surely He won't judge the world. He's not going to punish me. If there is a God, surely He's a God of love. He wants me to do whatever makes me feel good. He wants me to enjoy myself. He's not going to judge me. He actually approves of what I'm doing. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the argument looks like, and it doesn't matter what realm of people is coming from. The heart of their denial is all the same. They are following their sinful desires in their scoffing, in their mocking. These people don't want a final judgment. They don't want Christ to come back. Because if Jesus comes back, they then have to answer for all the ungodliness that they have lived in. They are accountable to Him. And so they deny it. In verses 5-7, to Peter says that in denying that there is no final judgment, they are deliberately overlooking something. He says, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God, and that by means of these the water that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, these 
three verses are difficult to understand. I mean, why does Peter argue in this way? Why does he talk about the judgment in this way? Why does he use this language? There are some scholars that believe that the false teachers or the scoffers that Peter was writing against in his letter didn't believe in a physical final judgment. They think that these scholars, they say that the particular group of false teachers believed that what happened in the body, the deeds of the body, didn't matter. The Spirit is what matters. Spiritual things matter. And that's why we see all of this godless living by the false teachers. You can do whatever you want in the body. God doesn't care. We're not going to be judged for it. And so it kind of makes sense that Peter would argue in this way, though. That he would take them back to creation. He says, no, remember, you are deliberately overlooking the fact that in the beginning, God, by His Word, created everything. He created the heavens and He created the earth. He created the spiritual and the physical things. And by His Word, He has already judged the physical world once. And He judged it with the flood. If you remember, in Genesis, we read that God looked upon the earth and He saw in the hearts of man nothing but wickedness. And it grieved Him. And so He sent the flood. And He killed everything except for Noah and his family and two of every animal. And by that same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. But we really don't know, we don't have enough information from Peter that that's this particular group of false teachers. He doesn't ever give us enough information to really pinpoint who the false teachers were or what their specific beliefs were. But in the end, it really doesn't matter. Either way, Peter's point is very clear. God, by the power of His Word, created the world, has judged it once already by that Word in the flood, and will, by that same Word, judge it again in the final judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. It doesn't matter what belief system you have. God is the sovereign ruler of all things. He hates and despises wickedness, and one day He is going to judge all of it. So, beloved, Peter has again reminded us to be paying attention to God's Word and to be growing in godliness. We are still living in the last days that Peter told these Christians that they were in. The urgency is still here. Whenever you read through the letters of these apostles, they are constantly saying, the day of the Lord is near. Talking like it's tomorrow almost. And they were writing almost 2,000 years ago. But the urgency isn't dependent upon a time frame. What these apostles are saying is what Peter is going to say next week in the verses we're going to look at. One day, 
is not like one day to us, to the Lord. One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So you need to be ready because the Lord is coming. Jesus will soon come. He will soon come to judge this world and all of its wickedness and ungodliness. So are we heeding Peter's reminder? Are we drinking deeply from the Word of God? Are you paying attention to it? Letting it lead you like a lamp shining in a dark place. Are you continuing to grow in godliness? Are you making every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love? Those are the qualities that Peter's name, that Peter named in chapter one. Are we walking in them? Do we, in some measure, exemplify them with our life? If not, then I will warn you as Peter does. The scoffers and false teachers are among us. They are here. Now, they may not be here in this sanctuary. I pray not. But they are in this world and they are seeking to lead astray all those who are not grounded in the Word of God. Beloved, be sure that you are holding fast to God's Word, that you are paying attention not only to the holy prophets, as Peter says, but to all of the Bible. And be sure that you are growing in godliness. We must be examining ourselves. For if we are not examining ourselves, if we are not growing in godliness, if we are not paying attention to these things, then we will easily be swept away by these scoffers, by these false teachers. Let us be sure that we are holding fast to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if we are, then the false teachers and scoffers can try all they want to snatch you from the faith but it will all be in vain because it is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who holds you fast. And as long as He is the one holding you fast, then it doesn't matter, as we were looking at Sunday school in Romans chapter 8, it doesn't matter if it's angels or if it's worldly powers or the rest of that list that Paul names in that magnificent chapter. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is the one that is holding us fast. So as Peter again reminds us for the fourth time, I remind you, hold fast to His Word, grow in godliness, and hold fast to Christ Himself. Let's pray. Father, we come before You and we again thank You for the the reminders that Peter continues to give to us. Peter reminds us so much that we think to ourselves, okay, man, that's enough. We get it. But Father, we often forget just how forgetful we are, how lazy we can become. 
But Peter knows better. He continually shakes us. And Father, I ask that You would continue to shake us by the power of Your Word. That You would continually remind us that we would be looking to Your Word. That we would be paying attention to it. That we would be examining examining ourselves. And that we would be growing in godliness. Father, as I read through this letter and I, I watch and I listen and I hear what Peter is saying about these false teachers... I feel the same love that he had for these Christians, for the people that are sitting before me now. Father, false teachers will one day, in some way, stand before us. And they will mock you. They will argue against us. They will say that our faith is meaningless. That it is preposterous. But may You hold us fast. May You hold them fast. By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, may You hold us fast. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.